0: So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, it's been a joy to be able to study the book of Philippians uh, together. And we ask that you would bring those truths to our hearts and minds that you want us to really hold on to and apply. And as we look at this truth of contentment this morning, we pray that we would find ourselves completely satisfied in you. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this time. Would you lead us and guide us into truth in Jesus' name? Amen. Whatever the state, whatever the circumstance, would you agree that our life brings us a lot of different circumstances and seasons? Sometimes there's a season of blessing, of abounding. It seems like everywhere you turn, God is blessing you and you're like, wow, I don't I don't deserve this and this is a unique season in my life. But then also there's times of great trial and great difficulty. Everywhere you look, you're experiencing another type of of trial, different shape and size. And what Paul declares in our section of scripture this morning, he says, whatever state I've in, I have learned to be content. Our theme for the book of Philippians has been fortify. If we will sink our lives into the truth of the book of Philippians, we'll be fortified. There'll be a rampart, a strong tower around our lives. And joy and contentment is a fortification as well. If we can be content in the Lord, no matter what our circumstances are, we will be fortified. Quick review of the book of Philippians. What are some of the highlights that we've seen in the book of Philippians? What's the theme of this book? Rejoice. Joy. Chapter 1 is what? An emphasis on Jesus. Jesus is the source of our joy. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we can say and we can declare that Christ is our life, then we're going to experience joy in the Lord. Chapter 2, remember what we were challenged? To have the mindset of Christ to esteem others better than ourselves. To put their needs before our needs. And then chapters 3 and 4 is you. We need to take third place to Christ and others. The things that we've lost in our lives. We've all suffered loss. Paul suffered loss. That we can gain the knowledge of Christ in the midst of those, those losses. The beginning part of chapter 4, that we would find peace in the Lord, a peace that surpasses our understanding. And then today, as we conclude the book, to be content. Let's go back to verse 8 and 9 before we get into verse 10. I think the context is important. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. What we find here is that our thought life is going to impact our contentment. The next verse begins to talk about contentment. Contentment is directly tied to your thought life. Two weeks ago, we spent time on this verse do you remember the Brita filter for the brain? How's it been going? As you think about your thought life, what have you been meditating upon uh, this week? Has it been everything that's pure, everything that's true, everything that's, that's lovely? And we find in our lives when our thoughts go awry, also contentment goes out the window, doesn't it? Once we start thinking, you know, this isn't enough. This job's not enough, this car's not enough, this, this house is not enough my, my spouse is not enough, my, my kids are not enough, then pretty soon we find ourselves in that place of, of discontentment. May we not give ourselves the license to start having our thoughts go awry. But may we be quick to take our thoughts captive, to bring them back into submission to the obedience of Christ. But thought life has a, a big impact upon contentment. Let's look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is thanking them for giving him a financial gift while he's in prison, for caring for his needs, and he's saying again, your, your care has flourished. You, you desired to be able to give, but you lacked the, the opportunity. And before he says thank you, he wants them to understand his heart when it comes to material things. In verse 11, "Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am, to be content." He says, "I appreciate the gift, but I want you to know, I was content, I was satisfied, I was at a place of peace, whether I received the gift or not. I have learned to be content. So this lesson in contentment, it's learned contentment must be learned. We know that we were not born content. That's not part of our human condition. Now, now how do you know that? How do you know that you were not born as a content individual? Spend time this morning in the two and three-year-old room. All right? Toddlers are pretty fresh in their journey of life, and toddlers are the furthest from content. There's some rules for toddlers. Someone wrote this. What's the number one rule for toddler? If I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, well, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it, if it is mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, number ten, well it's yours. And number eleven, if it's broken but you're having fun playing with the pieces, it's mine again. And number twelve, if there's any doubt, it's mine, right? Not content, right? That, that's, the, that's the nature and condition of the heart of a, of a toddler. And we battle this in our own lives. So, so unless we press into this issue and are willing to learn, the Apostle Paul says he had to learn to be content. Remember his condition as he's writing this letter, he's, he's in prison. It would be an easy time to give yourself a hall pass on contentment. I don't need to be content because I'm in a miserable circumstance. And he says, I have learned to, to be content. I found myself this this summer struggling with contentment in a, in a very interesting, unusual way. I tend to play golf like once a year, whether I like it or not. My in-laws really love golf, and so we have this annual tradition of of playing uh, golf together. My, my code is don't ever lose to my mother-in-law, right? You know, it's... So I haven't really cared much about golf, and then went out with a group of guys, and uh, went golfing, and Pastor Robert and I went, and I have some hand-me-down golf clubs from Brad Ewing, if you remember him, our worship pastor, years ago, And, and Brad's a very short man, and so these golf clubs are like this for me. And I've just made the best of them all of, all of these years. You know, I don't want to invest money into, into this game that I don't play very often that's really an aggravated walk. That's really what golf is, you know. And one of the guys that we happened to be playing with, he was, he was tall like me. And he said, Eric, why don't you try a few of my clubs? And they were really, really nice clubs, and they were the right height for me. And all of a sudden, like, this was going a lot better. And I finished, and I was like, this, this is really fun. And I got the golf bug. And so I called my brother who lives in Denver. And, and he's a golf coach at his school that he teaches at. And he's way into golf. And I said, hey, if you ever have some clubs you're getting rid of, give them to me. And so he said, no way. Today, I just put some clubs in the back of my, my rig. And I'm taking them to, to the Goodwill. So I'll put them back in the garage. And they're yours. And I was thinking, wow, this is God's provision. I got some some better clubs. But they're... They're for free. And so I got these clubs, and, and I was like, yeah, but then I started to realize they're not quite as nice as the ones that the, I used, the guy that I played with, right? So now I'm starting to do research, and I need nicer clubs, right? And I was very discontent with what, what God had provided. And I'm, I'm not joking. In my mind, I'm thinking, if I get newer, nicer clubs, I'm going to play better. And I had to really think through this and go, wait a second. You know, I've seen guys with nice clubs not play very well. So <laughs> I probably just need to practice and be thankful for what God has, has provided. But I got really fixed in on it. I was craigslisting golf clubs and wasting all this time. And discontentment had, had come in there in such a silly way, you know. And so this is something that we wrestle with. A lot in our lives. It may be in our jobs. I'm going. Okay, this is the job that God has provided for me. I want to be faithful and thankful for it, and leave it up to Him whether He's going to provide something else. We can be discontent in our families, in the season that our family is in. Maybe you're discontent in your in your marriage, and kind of secretly you're looking at your spouse, going, oh, I don't like this about them, or this isn't what I signed up for, and I really would desire some something else. it could be in your singleness that it's easy for discontent to, to come into our hearts and minds. So we need to learn contentment. What would happen if discontentment and covetousness takes over? A lot of other sin flows out of discontentment. Could we say adultery flows out of discontentment? Could we say fornication, sex before marriage, flows out of discontentment? Could we say getting drunk oftentimes flows out of discontentment. Getting high flows out of discontentment. I can't deal with my reality, so I need to go and get this substance. And so it's important for us to see the need to learn contentment. And we look at verse 12. It says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Contentment is two-sided. Write that down. Contentment is two-sided. Paul says in learning contentment, he had to learn how to abound and also learn how to abase, be abased. He learned how to be full and how to suffer need. So first, let's talk about abounding. Oftentimes when God blesses us, we can have two responses to his blessings that aren't contentment. Donald Trump, long before he was president, years ago, was asked the question, Mr. Trump, when will you have enough money? And his response at that point in his life was, just a little bit more. And a lot of times when God blesses in our lives, instead of being satisfied with it, we go, I would really desire just a little bit more. Maybe in finances, there's this amount of money in the bank. And instead of being thankful for that, our tendency to go, well, well, if it was just a little bit more, if it was a couple thousand dollars more, instead of, wow, Lord, thank you so much that you have provided this. So oftentimes, when we're blessed, it's not enough, and we're saying, I want just a little bit more. On my eighth birthday, my Aunt Carolyn, she's, she's like a grandma to me. Her and my uncle, they took eight dollars. Folded them up, cut up newspaper, put it in a box, and I got to go through the box and find these dollar bills. This was super exciting for me as an eight-year-old boy. One dollar, two dollars, five dollars. Get to the eighth dollar. I look up at everybody at this birthday party, my birthday party, and I say, is that all? <laughs> oh, man. My dad looked at me, and he's like, bedroom, you know? I don't care if it's your birthday, right? Right. What was the condition of my heart? It's, it, it's not enough. Maybe God has really blessed you, but you're going through your days and you're like, it's not enough. It's not enough. Another response that we can have to abounding is feeling guilty. Instead of enjoying it and thanking the Lord for what he's provided, we go, I don't deserve this. That's right, we don't. We don't deserve it. So we tend to not receive it with thanksgiving. Or We know a lot of people that are really struggling and so we feel, we feel really guilty for the groceries that we have or the, the roof that's over our head. And God doesn't want us to hold on to our, our blessings and selfishness, but he does desire that we would enjoy it for, for his glory. James 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He's good. He gives good gifts. And our Father is glorified as we receive those gifts. We're told... That we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. Why do you give good gifts to your kids? Is it always because they deserve it? Is it always because they need it? No, it's because you love them. You want to bless them. And so we look to our Heavenly Father and we receive those gifts with thanksgiving. Ecclesiastes writes a lot about receiving what God has provided. Rejoicing in the Lord and being thankful for it. It's actually sometimes a little bit more tricky than we would think to be content in blessing. But then there's the other side of contentment. It's learning to be content when things are difficult, when they're hard, when we're abased. When things are difficult, we want out of the trial, don't we? We want our circumstance to change. If we were in Paul's shoes, the temptation would be, I just want out of prison. And Paul says, I've learned to receive trial from the hand of God as well. And this is understanding that God is working in our lives in blessing, but he's also working in our lives in difficulty. Lord, you're forming my character. God, you're giving me an opportunity to know you in a greater way. It will be in these difficulties that I understand you. God oftentimes uses the difficulties to bless others as well. So learning that God is working both in the abounding and being in as well. Verse 13 is probably the second most famous verse in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John 3, 16 would be number one. This is probably number two. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the context of Philippians 4, 13? It's contentment. Paul's saying this is so difficult to be content. It's the supernatural work of Christ that allows me to be content, to allow me to endure in difficulty, that allows me to not have this perspective of, I just need a little bit more. Maybe you feel like contentment's just too lofty of a goal. You are in a challenging marriage. You're in a, a difficult job. It's hard being single. You're, you're a student, and you're headed into the school year, high school or, or college, and it, it's tough. Well, the source is Christ. Christ is the one who allows us to be content. Contentment is possible through Christ. Hebrews thirteen five says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with the things that you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We touched on this this last Wednesday night as we finished the book of Hebrews. What's that verse telling us? Let your lifestyle... Your conduct, be without covetousness. Don't go through your days saying, I need something else. I need someone else. Why? Because Christ is with you, and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What a promise from God. You're not going to go through a day of this life without Christ being present in your life. Jesus is enough. He's enough. If we're looking to him, fellowshipping with him, that's going to be the source of of our contentment. That's going to be the source of our satisfaction. To the degree that I fellowship with Christ is the degree that I'm going to be content. Why was I discontent with golf clubs? Because I wasn't focused on Christ. I was focused on golf clubs, right? If I'm focused on Christ, I'm content in him and I can enjoy what he's provided. Lord, thank you for for what you have, have given. So, it all has to do with our perspective. Maybe this morning, shift your focus. Christ is with you. Christ is with you. He's more than enough. He's the bread of life. He is our portion. It's possible through Christ. In verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well that you've shared in my distress. Paul says, I am thankful that you shared with me in my distress. Now, Philippians Know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Church of Philippi is very dear to Paul. He says, when I first went out from Macedonia, you guys supported my ministry. and You gave me a financial gift as well. This is amazing to me that, that more churches didn't support the Apostle Paul. And it reminds us to care for fellow believers who are in a, in a place of need. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So the church of Philippi has a pattern of giving as Paul was, was serving. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's saying, I really wasn't seeking the money. We know from part Paul's character and his heart. He wasn't a person that was after the money. He sacrificed a lot to be able to do the work of the Lord. He loved the church of Philippi and knew that they would grow through giving. He wanted to see the fruit that would happen in their lives as they gave financially. If you're a parent and have raised kids or are raising kids, do you encourage your kids to give and share? Yeah. Why? Because it's good for them, right? You go, I know it's really important for their character to understand the value of being able to give. And God's the same way. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Isn't it so fun to give a gift? Isn't it so fun to be able to minister to somebody who's in need if God's given you the the ability to be able to do that? It's been said that one of the last things for God to reach in our lives is our wallets. And God, I'll surrender all to you, but not my wallet. You know, don't, don't talk to me about my, my spending habits. But what we do with money really does reflect our heart. Money is a heart issue. And that's difficult for us to be able to, to hear. Now, if you've come to RMC for some time, maybe you've noticed that we don't pass an offering plate. And the reason that we do that is for, for two, two primary reasons. And the first is, is we want giving to be between you and the Lord. We want you to pray about it. We want you to see how the Lord is leading you to, to be able to give. So we simplified and we've put boxes in the foyer. Also, you can, you can give online. And another reason is a lot of people that don't know Christ don't want to come to church because they say what? They're only after my money. So we want you to be able to bring lost people here and know that they're not going to have the, the plate pass in front of them and feel this pressure to, to give money. Growing up in a church that, that passed the plate, I always thought, what would happen if you made change in the offering plate? You know, like, I was a bad kid, you know. I was thinking, what if I put in a dollar and take five? You know, I never did that, thankfully, by God's grace. But, but I did think about that a few, a, a few times. However, we do teach giving as giving is brought up in the Scripture. So as we go through the books of the Bible, and and God teaches us about giving, we want to encourage giving. And in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, God encourages us to tithe, to not rob from the Lord. New Testament giving goes a little bit deeper than that. It's not just a percentage. It's not 10%, here you go, God. But we are encouraged to purpose in our own hearts what God wants us to give. So go before the Lord. Say, God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to give to? And then be a cheerful giver unto God. Sometimes when we give, it's out of obligation, isn't it? And I think God's heart is if we're giving out of obligation, just go ahead and keep your money. God doesn't need your money. He's, he's not broke, you know? And so sometimes it's like, here you go, God. You know, here's your, here's your first fruits. No, give cheerfully. Give hilariously. The thing that's so freeing about giving is it frees our hearts from greed. It reminds us it all belongs to God. And giving is a very practical way to free our hearts from greed and lay up our our treasures in heaven. So there's fruit that happens in our lives as we give. Verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul says he's abounding and he's full while he's in prison. What a perspective, you know, what what an attitude. And he says the reason that he's full is because Epaphroditus was the messenger of this gift to the Apostle Paul. And he says the gift that the church of Philippi gave was a sweet aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God notices the giving that you do. The service that you do in Christ's name. And it's a sweet aroma to him. It takes us back to the Old Testament. Sacrifices upon the altar were a sweet aroma to God. So there's fruit that happens in our lives from giving, but also God is blessed through, through giving. Smells are powerful. We'll just leave it there. No, we'll go a little bit further. There, there's some smells that are just absolutely repulsive. If we were in the junior high room, I'd go into it more, but this isn't junior high youth group, so I'll spare you the agony. You know some of those smells. But there's also some smells that are so good. These essential oils are super popular right now, right? And a lot of it is the smells. Get, get Get the peppermint and the diffusers. And I see you ladies are like, you're speaking my language. I think the guys would like it a lot better if the essential oil was like burger, like smash burger in an oil and put that in a diffuser. We're like, oh yeah, this smells good, right? I haven't been longing for for this smell, but the smells can be good. They can be bad, and we want to be that that smell to the Lord. It's, it's humbling to think, man, my, my life could be that to the Lord, where the Lord goes, oh, oh, thank you. I notice, I notice that cup of cold water that you gave to a child in my name. Verse 19, the promise of God, and God may supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And it's in the context of giving. He's speaking to a group of believers that are honoring God with their finances. And then God says, I'll supply all of your needs. We need to clarify this word of faith teaching is not in the Bible, this idea. If, if you give financially to the work of the Lord, then God is going to give back to you a hundredfold. And somehow it's this scheme, you know, this financial scheme that manipulates people to, to give to the work of the Lord. No, we give because God asks us to, he commands us to. We know it's going to bring fruit in our lives, but it's not this financial return where, where God's going to double your money. A lot of times it's, it's spiritual fruit in our lives that, that takes place. But God's promise is he will supply your needs. Have you seen God be faithful to su- pu- supply your needs over the course of your life, you know? In some supernatural ways when you really needed it. like, Wow, God, you've been so faithful to provide for my needs. There's a difference between needs and wants, isn't there? Needs and desires. Needs are very simple. There's very few needs that we have, but we have a lot of desires. And the promise here is that God will provide our needs. If you're doing a project and you've got screws that need to go into wood What do you really need to make that happen? A screwdriver. But what do you desire? A cordless drill. That's gonna make that a whole, whole lot easier, you know? And a lot of times in life, God's saying, yeah, you can make this work. This is gonna be enough. This this is enough to, to get through today. Here's your daily provision. So there's a difference between needs and wants. Psalm 37, verse 25, David writes, he says, "'I've been young and now I'm old.'" Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. David said, I have observed over the course of my life, God is a faithful provider. In verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We need to be careful to give God the glory. Paul gives God all of the glory. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Paul's not alone. Even in prison, there's fellow believers that are with him that send greeting to the church of Philippi. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Paul, being in prison, he's able to see and hear more what's happening in Caesar's household. And he says there's believers in Caesar's household. Not where you would think there would be believers, but God was working, even in Caesar's palace. God may be placing you in a very ungodly, secular environment that's difficult to be in. But he wants salt and light there. He wants a representation of the gospel. So don't give up. Be encouraged. Maybe the company that you work for is is very secular and against Christ. Well, there's believers there. God has placed believers in every facet of life, even in Caesar's household. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is the starting point. It's when we receive Christ as our Savior. It's the ending point, but it's every point in between. Paul's writing to believers. He's saying, may God give you a fresh outpouring of his grace, of his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. So two questions. The first is this. What what have you learned from the book of Philippians? What has God really spoken to you? Today, take the time to read through the book of Philippians again. It's four chapters. It'll be 20 to 30 minutes. And really look for two, maybe three verses that were landmark verses for you. If you'd like, write a date in your Bible, you know, 8-6-2017. This this is what God really spoke to me through the book of Philippians. Maybe it was chapter 1, verse 6. Remember that promise? he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. God's a great starter, but he's also a great finisher to rest in the fact that you are his work. Maybe it was chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Maybe God confronted our selfishness in a very practical way in chapter two, and we need to be reminded daily to esteem others better than ourselves, to take on the mind of Christ. Look not only at your own needs, but the needs of others. Maybe it was work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe it was in chapter three where we were exhorted and encouraged by the Lord. Forget those things that are behind and press forward to those things that are ahead. Maybe God exposed anxiety and worry in your life in chapter 4. Say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What's the promise? Then the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. That's for me. I want to live in the peace of God. I don't want to live in worry. I don't want to live in anxiety. Maybe today it was this challenge with with contentment. But what, what has God been speaking to you? The book of Philippians. And then next is, have I learned contentment? The harder question may be, am I willing to learn contentment? A lot of times we're like, I've been living in the attitude of covetousness for for so long, I'm not sure I want to learn. I'm not sure I want to be at this place of of being content in in who Christ is. But we see the need for it, and we see the great value of of learning contentment. Church, it's not going to come natural. If we do what comes natural to us, We're going to be like grown-up toddlers running around, aren't we? Say, i got to learn contentment. It's time for me to learn contentment. Before we pray, I want to share with you on a different topic, kind of on a family meeting topic, a step of faith that we feel like the Lord is asking us to take as a pastoral staff and a board of directors. So about two years ago, we started really praying about a heart for our city, a heart for our community, and reaching out to Colorado Springs in in a different way, and really examining this idea of multiplication, this idea that God has, thankfully, by his grace, provided a healthy church at RMC, but how do we be reproducing? And I've really been feeling a burden that churches need to continue to reach out, uh, it's easy for us to, at this point in our church, uh, to, to get kind of satisfied with what we know here and say this is more than enough and it's more than what we could ever imagine, but really wanting to know what God's heart is and was he opening up a, a new door in our community. So we were looking at uh, trying to start uh, Rocky Mountain Calvary Campus in the south part of, of our city in Colorado Springs and really seeing a need for for churches, loving the community down there and teaching the word. And several times we uh, went and looked at a school uh, down south to, to rent out the school on, on Sunday mornings, and we're getting close to uh, taking, taking that step. And it was in January, we set up a meeting to, to try to finalize things, And on that meeting, everything changed. Uh, There was that big uh, windstorm that went through our our city in January. And the church right across the street from the school, their roof blew off. And the back side of their building blew off as well. It was an older building. And so they needed to rent the school that we were looking at. Uh, And they have Calvary in their name. We have Calvary in our name. We both called the same week to meet with the school administrator. And he thought we were from the same church. And so he set up all of us to come at the same time. And we're like, hey, one of us doesn't belong here, right? But it was totally God's hand closing that door and making it very evident that that church was to to be in that school. And they were going to do about a year and a half uh, remodel and a a total makeover of their, their building. So we just continue to pray and continue to pray. And then April, May of, of this year, a couple of our pastors became aware of a church building out in Ellicott, and we were not thinking Ellicott, but it's oftentimes how, how God works. Now, if you're like me, uh, and you hear the, the name Ellicott, I couldn't remember exactly where it was, you know? And for some of you, that, that, you're, you're right with me on that. And Ellicott is on the eastern plains, uh, it's 15 miles east of Mark Shuffle, Uh, in Highway 24. So if you think of of Highway 24, Mark Shuffle, the east part of of the city, Platt there, if you just take Highway 94, 15 uh, uh, miles out, you get to Ellicott. It's only 30 minutes from right where we're at uh, today. If you live on the east part of the city, it's probably 20-25 minutes from from your house if you're on the Powers Corridor. But there's a church that's been vacant for six years, and it's three acres, 7,000 square feet, uh, there's there's two remaining board members. The rest have have passed away, and they were asking three hundred fifty thousand dollars for for this church building. So we prayed and we offered fifty thousand. <laughs> that's how we do things here. <laughs> and and of course they they laughed. And right that afternoon they they came back and said two hundred fifty thousand. And we said, well that's 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 way more than we can afford, you know. And 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 it's it's probably a closed door. And but we couldn't get it out of our system as a pastoral, pastoral team. And so Robert and I were talking and, and we, we said, well, you know, let's, let's try 100 you know? Let's let's just see if maybe God will give us favor. Don't hear anything for a couple weeks, and they prayed about it, and they decided to to sell it for $100,000. And so we're under contract on this little church building out in Ellicott. We don't know for sure if it'll close. It's under inspection. Uh, There's there's some things there, and so we want to invite you to pray with us. We want to let you in at this point, and would you please be praying for God's will? Uh, If it's not the Lord's will, then we're okay with God uh, closing the door. You know, we've all seen birds fly into a window, right? They, they think it's an open door, and it's not an open door, and it's the death of them. So, so, it's brutal, isn't it? Like, oh, that poor bird. And we don't want to be that bird. It's like, it's like, God, if you're opening the door, we'll go through it. But if you're closing the door... Uh, go ahead and, and, and close uh, the door. We, we met with uh, one of the widows who's on the board, just a sweet woman who's in her 70s. And the last 10 years, she's been mowing the grass out there, praying that God would bring a church that would want to reach out uh, to, to Ellicott. Uh, when you go into to the church, it's, it's dust-free because this woman goes in and she dusts every week, praying that God would, would bring a church. And inside of the building Everything with it comes with the sale. So it's literally like they lock the doors and start having, stopped having church. There's a soundboard, a pulpit, pews, a kitchen downstairs. Um, and, and so we're saying, okay, Lord, we would have never dreamed Ellicott but we believe that God may be opening the door. So please be in prayer. On August 20th, we're going to have an interest meeting. If there's some of you that would pray about if the door does open and we're able to start having services this fall, where you'd commit to going out there for a year to be part of the initial leadership team, the, the servant team, uh, to be able to, to, to see this church be planted. Uh, there will be a campus pastor. One of our pastors will go be the campus pastor, and he'll teach and teach through the same section of scripture. So if we were going through Philippians 4:10 through 23, he'd be going through Philippians 4 10 through 23. But we do feel that it'll be a true RMC campus, like we believe the philosophy of ministry. Uh, and, and so it'll be RMC Ellicott uh, campus if the Lord uh, opens the door. So if you if you live in Ellicott, for sure, please come to that meeting on August 20th. You know, if you're, if you're out in that area and this stirs your heart, please come and, and talk with me this morning. And we just value your prayers as we go through this process. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your goodness. and Lord, we do want to uh, be open to what you would have for for our lives and for for this church. And church family, if you feel comfortable, just open your hands to the Lord and in surrender, let's let's just surrender this over to God. And Father, as your church, we acknowledge you Jesus as the head. And we want what you want. We want your will. and with hearts and hands that are surrendered, we just pray, that you would make it evident what your, your will is for this church building out in Ellicott. And also our lives, we surrender our lives afresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen.